I don't know what your favorite book was when you were growing up as a kid. I know a lot of new books have come out over the years as my my kids were uh, younger and now my grandkids are, are young and there's a whole lot of books that are new and are ones that you read. But when I was a kid, one of the books that I loved the most, that I enjoyed reading the most, was one written in 1930 uh, and the title was The Little Engine That Could. Like Anyone ever read that book? You know that book? I just want to see at least one young hand. Like It's still in libraries, right? Like It's so much of a classic that it hasn't been that outdated yet. Uh, and I think there's a reason for it, why it resonates with with kids, the story of the underdog, the little engine. All the big engines said, no, we're not taking that trip. We'll never make it. Absolutely not. The little engine believes that he can. Uh, all the way along is, is talking to himself, encouraging himself. I think I can. I think I can. Uh, and every step along the way, there might be fear or wonder, not, not, no certainty, but the desire, the drive, the, the belief that he could. It's kind of like the encouragement behind the book. Like, you can do anything your mind, uh, that you set your mind to. How many parents haven't said that to their kids? Like, tell yourself, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. This belief that no matter what the odds that might be against you, no matter what the obstacles you might find in, in your way, believe that you can. Over and over again, this book repeats that message. Gets to the last and final pass. It's the hardest path. pass. He slows down because he doesn't want to burn out his engine. And he makes it over the top. And he goes from, I think I can. I think I can. To, I Thought I could, I did, I made it. In life, there's a lot to be said for that idea and belief that you think you can. To pursue things, to believe things, to, to push through things. Like, and a lot of times it helps, it gets us there. It, it's essential and it's needed because there are times in life that are hard, circumstances that are difficult, challenges that are unique. And to think I can, to be followed by, I knew I could, is a powerful thing and a, and a good thing. But that book, as great as it is, as much as there's power in thinking that you can, it forgets a truth, and sometimes we forget it in our world, that there are times, it's the tension of this series, there are times in life when we just can't. The circumstances are too much. The abilities needed are not ours. The strength that it would take to to get through it is, is not there. The plate is too full. Like there are a whole lot of circumstances, times, things, diseases, relationships, whatever it might be, that as much as we want to believe we can, as much as we have the desire to, to do it, to get through it, we simply can't. And that tension is a real issue. And that's why we need need to and want to address it in this series, like the issue that comes in those times in life when we can't, the issue it is to us spiritually when we can't, the frustration that is real when we can't, the response that we have in life in those times, in those circumstances, in those situations when we can't is it, it, so vital and important to get right. Because if we don't, if we go to the wrong places, if we turn to the wrong things, if we forget the truths about God in those moments when we can't. We might spiritually be putting ourselves at great risk and in grave danger. Which is why I pray that over the course of the next several weeks, you are blessed as we look at events from Jesus' life, truths about our God that remind us of what he did and that he can. For the times in life when you can't, when the circumstances are too big, when 
You don't know where to turn when, when your faith is paralyzed or in danger of being paralyzed. At those times when we just can't, this series is, is meant to, to bless you in your life of faith, to help you have stronger Jesus roots, to remember that when you can't, Jesus, God, can. So if, if you're with me, if you need that, if you're going through a storm in life right now, if there's something that you can't deal with or you're struggling with facing, this series is for you. And if you're not and life is good right now and the waters are calm, trust me, you're going to want to hold on to these truths of Jesus can because there will be times when you can't. Until that day when he calls us home, all of us need this reminder that Jesus can and have a strong faith for the times and moments when we can't. And the Gospel of Matthew is going to be our textbook over the course of the next few weeks. All but miracles, all from Matthew, all found in his gospel. And here's why I think that's such an important thing to consider. Of the four gospels, uh, Matthew and, and John, two of the authors of the gospels, were one of the 12 disciples. Mark, most likely, people believe, uh, spent a great deal of time working with the apostle Peter. So many of his accounts of the things God inspired him to write were also based on the accounts of another disciple. So when Matthew speaks to us, when he records these truths for us, we are talking about real time, real Jesus, real important things that Jesus did that Matthew understood were important for people he was writing to who never saw them, never were going to experience them firsthand. These are eyewitness testimony accounts of the things Jesus did to help us in our spiritual life understand who God is and what that means for us. Now, before we get into our miracle for today, maybe a little bit of background about Matthew. I already told you he was one of Jesus' disciples, one of the 12 Remember Matthew, he was born a Jew, uh, but he was, uh, as an occupation, he was a tax collector. God, Jesus called him to be one of his disciples, even though he was one of those people who you weren't supposed to love, hang out with, do anything with. So, so Matthew's life had been changed by Jesus himself. And Matthew records for us in the gospel uh, a lot of things, uh, but up to chapter 8, his readers would have learned about this. Chapters 1 and 2 were about Jesus' birth and younger years. You hear uh, Matthew records the story of the wise men. Uh, coming to visit Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus' earthly ministry begins with his baptism by John. John the Baptist is preparing the way uh, in, in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by, the, by Satan. So Matthew has recorded for, for people that Jesus faced the devil head on and overcame temptation, said no. Later on in chapter 4, you have the disciples being called a few miracles being done, and then you got this transition after all those things are, built up, are building up and amping up into Jesus' ministry. There's a pause for a big event, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, maybe his longest recorded sermon on the pages of Scripture, where he has a whole lot of strong words, a whole lot of calls to action, a whole lot of things of encouragement. He talks about times in life where, where there are things that will cause you worry, Matthew chapter 6, do not be... Do not be worried. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The Sermon on the Mount ends with a very famous section. Have you ever heard the story of the wise man who built his house on the rock? Jesus spoke those words. End of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. So that when the rains came and the winds blew and they beat against that house, it did not fall. Jesus uses a visual of a storm <laughs> and the importance of your faith being founded on the truth. And then we roll into chapter 8. <laughs> and chapter 8, all of a sudden, from this Sermon on the Mount, these powerful words, is just filled with miracle after miracle after miracle of Jesus. You have a miracle of him healing a leper who from a distance calls out and says, Save me, Lord! Just say the word! Jesus does, and he's healed. Jesus can. The leper knew it, and he did. 
The next account is Jesus healing a centurion, uh, a centurion's sick soldier. The, the centurion found him, came to him. He's walking with Jesus. He says, Jesus, I, I don't deserve to have you under my roof, but if you just say the word right here, right now, he'll be healed. You can. And Jesus did. Like the disciples saw two examples of what Jesus can do, the power he has over disease. And those stories are really important in the chronology of this, I believe, uh, and, and the account of this, because those two sections were not just about the miracle, but the faith the person had in Jesus. Like Jesus identified that centurion had a strong faith, so strong, Jesus hadn't seen any of it like it in Israel. The leper had such a faith that from a distance he could call it to Jesus. Like the miracle is one part of it, but the faith of those individuals, they believed God could. Right after that, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. She had a fever, she was sick, and she was ill, and Jesus healed her. So one of the disciples' own family members came into contact with the power of Jesus and what he can do. Right after that, he's driving out demons out of people, okay? So miracle, 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 miracle. And then right before this section, right before we're going to see where this miracle takes us, before what happens next, Jesus told his disciples, you will endure hardship and persecution and carry crosses as a result of following me. <laughs> storms. <laughs> like, hey, there's going to be relational storms because you're a believer. Storms. Like physically, emotionally, you're going to be persecuted. Like Jesus was proving who he was over and over again, but he was reinforcing to them as great as these things are, hold on to these things. You've seen these things. Remember these things and hold on to these things. Like, all these things come together. This, these things are taking place, like, in a few days, in a matter of weeks, maybe a month at most, I would guess. Uh, maybe a little longer, but miracle, miracle, miracle. Reminder, reminder, reminder. Storms happen. Visible reminders. This is who I am. All right, coming off of that conversation, here's what happens as our text takes us into Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Then he got into the boat... And his disciples followed him. Like it's a matter of fact, it's one of those passages you would say, Pastor Tim, why are you wasting our time on this today? Uh, just so that you understand the truth about the author. The author's telling you the facts that happened. He got into the boat. This happened. We got into boats and followed him. This happened. He, he's sharing with you real-time history of what transpired before his eyes of, of Jesus. So hold on to that. Remember that. Understand that. And this wouldn't have been an abnormal occurrence for the disciples. Remember, several of them were fishermen by trade. Many of them hubbed around the Sea of Galilee where the, the events uh, of this account took place. They would have known those waters. They would have had access to boats. They would have known the, the best way to get across the lake. They would have also understood there are times to be in a boat and times to not be in a boat. And some of you would say, I don't like going in boats, period, because I get seasick. Okay, I get it. Like, but there are times when even the newscast here today tells you the waves are going to be high on Lake Michigan. The winds are going to be up. You might not want to be boating. Like wisdom tells you in certain circumstances, depending on the size of your boat uh, or where you're headed or what's going to transpire, you shouldn't be on the water. The disciples would have known this. They would have made educated decisions. They want to put their life in danger. Like if it was thunder and lightning out at this point, they want to climb into the boat. They didn't have weather forecasts, but they get in the boat. They need to get from point A to point B. It's during the middle of the night. And this is what happens next. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake 
so that the waves swept over the boat. If you read the, the Greek uh, uh, as God inspired it to be written by Matthew, these words are very choppy. These words are very all over the map. They're not, they're not really good English sentences. You can almost imagine God inspiring Matthew to write them with his own firsthand experience of what he was feeling. Like, have you ever been in a storm before? Like, my wife does not like driving in snowstorms because she's driven through an accident that was really bad. She watched a lot of it. She got through it. But just the thought of snow sometimes causes her heart to, to beat a little bit faster. Like, that's what I imagine Matthew doing right now as he's trying to write. His words are coming out really choppy, but he's recording some keys to the truth. Suddenly, snap, out of the blue. Like, they weren't expecting it. They didn't see it coming. And it was a furious storm. The word that's used here as almost similar language to, to what take, takes place and transpires during Holy Week as Jesus is dying, the earth shaking, um, Matthew's using similar language. Like the storm is furious. It is violent. Like everything is going wrong. So much so that Matthew's descriptive of, of it is that the waves swept over the boat. It wasn't just rocking the boat. It wasn't just splashing a little bit in the boat, which can sometimes be fun. The waves were literally sweeping over the boat. Last night before I fell asleep, Castaway was on. Perfect timing as I'm watching him go under and the plane going down in the storm. He makes it out alive, but the waves are going up and down. Sorry if I'm making you seasick right now. Like that's the visual. It is overwhelming them. The boat is filling up with the water. They can't see a thing. These expert fishermen. And you might wonder, how is this possible? Well, nature is uncontrollable. And the region that they were in would have made this happen. Like they didn't have their Fox 11 app on their cell phone that was going to beep for them and tell them, hey, a storm is coming. Lightning's on its way. Like storms come up out of nowhere around here at times, but we just get warnings. We get sirens. Mount Hermon was about 30 miles off in the distance of the Sea of Galilee. 10,000 feet into the air, this mountain reaches and stands. But as you're coming towards the Sea of Galilee from, from the, the west to the east, uh, these mountain ranges uh, would collide with the cold air up above and the warm air of Sea of Galilee, which was below sea level. You have a 10,000 foot difference in a matter of 30 miles. Like those two things hit and you can have a violent storm out of nowhere. Like when fronts collide here in the state of Wisconsin, you get some crazy storms in summertime, right? The cold air hits the hot air, thunderstorms, tornadoes. Those things happen. That's what's happening. And you can imagine there was concern. But before we get to what happened next, what the disciples' concern was about what was taking place, Matthew records this as Luke and John, or Luke and Mark also recorded it. The storm is furious. The waves are sweep, sweeping over the boat. But the second half of verse 24, Jesus was sleeping. Can't tell you how. Can't tell you why. I could make some guesses about he had started sleeping earlier. Like Jesus was human. I know what happens to me after I preach three times on Sunday morning. I go home, I have lunch, I crash. Like, there would be a lot of things it would take sometimes to wake me up. Like, I don't hear things. I might not hear my alarm go off if I try and set it sometimes. Like, so I get that Jesus was sleeping. I get that even a light rocking of the boat might not cause him to be awake. But I'm shocked and I can't fathom how water's going over the top of the boat. It's splashing on him in the stern of the boat. It's rocking and tipping. These disciples are screaming. They're trying to do everything to maneuver the boat, but he is sleeping. He's sleeping. Which is where we see the disciples turning to him in the next verse. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. 
Literally, we are dying here. Not in danger, not we're scared, not this is a really bad one. No, this is the ultimate storm, the worst storm, the perfect storm. It came out of nowhere. We're in the middle of the lake. We've tried to turn around, can't. We've tried to move forward, can't. We've tried to angle the boat the right way, can't. We've tried to bail water out, can't. We're dying. The storm is that bad and that big. And maybe as a last resort, it's how I visualize it, not as the first resort. They come to Jesus and say, Jesus, help, we can't. And at first glance, you might think to yourself, they did the right thing. They went to God. And Matthew records for us, they called out for him to save us. We're going to drown, but... But Mark tells us this, the disciples woke him and and literally said this, teacher, don't you care if we drown? (laughs) Like the storm was bad, the storm was raging, but the spiritual storm that was going on inside of them was they were looking at Jesus and they questioned his love and his care. Like, dude, you're asleep in the middle of the storm. Don't you care? Don't you love us? And that's why it's important sometimes to read all of it in Scripture. Like, it wasn't wrong that they went to Jesus. Uh, there was an element that they knew we have nowhere else to turn, but, but my gut instinct tells me that they were trying to overcome the storm on their own. And when all hope was lost, the last measure and line of defense was to lay it out for Jesus that, that we're going down and we are all dying. It wasn't a faith like the leper who called out, save us, deliver me, heal me. It wasn't like the centurion who said, All you got to do is say the word. No, Jesus, you don't care. See, because here's the thing I want you to see, oftentimes when we can't, what happens to us. It was happening to the disciples. Like people who had knowledge firsthand, who had seen firsthand what Jesus could do in this moment. Fear got the best of them. Oftentimes when we can't, what happens is fear makes us wonder. It makes us wonder if God cares. Like when the storm is raging, when the storm is going on, when you, in faith, understand the significance of it, how bad it is, and you can't change it, have you ever wondered if God cares? Like God, you you don't see this, you don't know what's going on, where are you, God? Like God, have you ever wondered if God cares? Fear, oftentimes in the midst of the storm, makes us wonder if God cares. Question is love. And sometimes then it also does this. Fear makes us forget what God, that God can. Maybe you can't. I think you can. I think you can. I think you can. I think you can. Like spiritually, the little engine that could should be stronger than think. But oftentimes fear causes us to, to doubt. I think you can. And sometimes it turns us into the other little engines who said, I can't, and you can't. Like, not even God is bigger than this. God doesn't care. God doesn't love. God can't. Like, in life, events happen. Some good, some bad, some in your control, some not in your control. And when events happen, we get thoughts. We're going to (laughs) die. 
And thoughts produce feelings. You don't care. And feelings produce behavior. Doubt. Like in life, when events happen, what thoughts do you have? What feelings follow? What behavior flows? Like in the storms of life, you can identify and see where the events lead to thoughts, lead to feelings, and lead to action. And oftentimes our action is not trust in God, but doubt God. That's what's going on here with the disciples. Like they knew Jesus was the last line of resort and the only way for help, but their faith had doubted along the way that he cared. But Jesus can, and Jesus did. Look at what happens next. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Like he gets up, he speaks and he acts. It all goes together in one quick motion. Mark records it in an opposite direction. Mark begins with, uh, with the actions of Jesus, the calming of the storm, and then the words. I think they're simultaneous as I envision the story as both of them are describing it. He's speaking and he's acting. It's all going together. It's happening in a matter of seconds, if not milliseconds. Mark's words where he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Literally two words. Zip it and sit down. Like when you have to yell at your dog or something like that, like, sit down, stop barking. How many of your dogs listen to you all the time? Mine never did. Like literally, quiet, still. And it was. I think Mark records it in that order because that's what stood out to him. I think Matthew records it in the other order because he highlights at the heart and center of the issue was their flawed premise in God, their faith that was not strong, but their fear that, that was real big. Like their faith was little, but their fear was high. And Jesus identified the issue in, in the matter right here in the middle of the storm. You are lacking faith. Your faith is little. Why are you afraid you are in the boat with God? Like, you've seen what I have done. You, you know what I can do. If you remember my words, there are going to be storms. You're going to face difficulties. If you remember my words before, when the winds blow and, and the waters rise, the wise man built his house on the rock. I am the rock. Like, disciples, your premise is flawed. Your premise is built on the fact that you thought I didn't care and don't love. Because... The storm was raging. But it's not about the storm. Storms can come and storms can go. Storms can remain. But my love does not change in the storm. My presence does not disappear in the storm. Do you still have no faith? <laughs> like, understand what's going on in that moment, too. Like, you know what almost every ancient culture and still today would say? The most uncontained, uncontrollable power of nature is water. Like the ancients believed that human beings could not control the sea. It was a monster that, that would rage and would rise up and would come and get you at any moment. Like you couldn't contain it. You can't control it. Like every ancient religion had a God that they prayed to to help control the ocean. Remember Neptune, Little Mermaid? He had this magic wand. He could stir the waters. They could rise up and he could calm them down. Like people could call on the gods because only the gods could control nature. You know what Jesus was doing in this moment? You know what message Jesus was saying in this moment? I don't have to call on a higher power. I am the power. I don't have to call on a God to, to calm the storm. I'm God who can calm the storm. 
be still and it was. Be silent and it was. Just like that. Like if you're thinking of how the, the story goes on, what happens next, look at what the disciples did. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Jesus is God, Jesus is man. Even the winds and the waves obey him. They're connecting the dots. Like only gods can control the water. And this man literally stood up, said two words, and it went from the worst storm we've ever experienced, like hurricane force winds on the Sea of Galilee, to, to still as glass. They went from being afraid of the storm to, to, to being terrified of the man <laughs> in, a, in a fearful faith way. Like, who is this dude? What can this dude do? Yeah. In life, there will be storms when we can't. The devil would love for you to be paralyzed by fear, to be driven to behavior that doubts and questions God's love. But in the storm, when you can't, remember Jesus and he can. We can't calm the storms. You and I can't stop some of them. Some of them are beyond our control. We think we can. We can try anything and everything, but there might be times and will be times when you are in a storm physically, emotionally, relationally, worldly. When you can't calm it, it's beyond you. Remember this. Jesus can. When you can't control the storms, Jesus can because of who he is. Remember who he is. He's true man who understands what it's like to be human and be in storms. The reminder of him sleeping in the boat, don't let it fall on deaf ears. He's human just like you and just like me. In, in his life, he went through and endured storms physically. He knows what storms are like. He knows when storms rage. He's gone through them. He understands the human heart. He understands how frail you are. But remember who he is, not just true man. He is God. All-powerful, almighty God. It's one of the great things about this miracle. In real time, real power. It's one of the few miracles uh, the Bible records for us. In fact, it's the only miracle, really, uh, uh, that, that outside of healing and everything else, providing, like when Jesus performs a miracle over the powers of nature, if you want to know God, the ancients would have said only God has the ability to do this. Jesus can, because he is God. Jesus can calm the storms because of who he is, God and man, and because of, as God and man, what he did. Mark's gospel of this account mirrors and mimics the language of an Old Testament account that is very similar, of a storm. Like there was a boat, and there were sailors. There was a man in the water, a man asleep in the boat while the, the waters and storm are raging. There are, are, are sailors who are on the boat who, who, who say, we're going to die. The storm is that bad. God inter intervenes, calms the storm in a snap. Same picture, same visual. And the sailors are more terrified after the story of Jonah. The only difference between the story of Jonah and the story that we read in Mark and Matthew and in Luke is that one person is thrown overboard to save the lives of the others. Like salvation and rescue is found in, in one life being sent to the bottom of the ocean. And so you might not see the similarity and think of that storm until you remember that Jesus one time said, I'm the greater Jonah. Uh, and just like the life of one spared the life of all, Jesus went through the storm, the spiritual storm, 
The spiritual storm that endured the very wrath of God on the cross. The wrath was so big, the waves were so overwhelming that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, like Jesus entered that storm headfirst and he didn't doubt and he didn't deviate because he knew that in that storm, he was gonna face that, but he had to go through it so that you and I on the other side would experience the peace and calm of God spiritually. He said, it is finished. The battle is over. He rose victorious, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. So was Jesus in the belly of the earth and he rose victorious. He, he went through the storm, he endured the storm and he came out of the storm, the spiritual storm that has rescued you and me for eternity. That's who he is and that's what he did. So when you're in the midst of the storm, remember who he is, true man, true God. And what he did is true man and true God to endure the ultimate storm so that you would have the ultimate peace. To calm your nervous heart in a world that has a lot of storms. Which is why I want to leave you with a, a verse that maybe you can use to help exercise your faith. It's what he called the disciples to. Like, where's your faith? Why aren't you relying on it? Why aren't you exercising it? Why aren't in this moment you going over all the things I just did, the, the things I've healed, the demons that I've pulled out of people, the, the, the words that I've reminded you of? Like, exercise your faith regularly so that when the storms happen, or if you're in the storm, exercise it today to remember who he is and what he did. Because storms are hard and they are big and sometimes they are overwhelming and you might be in one right now. Maybe it's a diagnosis you just got. Maybe it's a relationship that is disintegrating. Maybe it's something mental or emotional. I don't know what storm you are facing. Uh, I pray that, that God takes it away because he can. But I know what he promises. Like he wants you to hold on to just like those disciples that he went through the storm. Don't doubt his love. Don't question his love. Look no further than the cross to see the love of God who can and has endured the ultimate storm and will help you through them. And maybe Psalm 46 is the way to help you remember some truths for storm survival. God's our refuge and strength, our safe city. He's our strength, the power when you can't. He's an ever-present help in trouble. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. He, he's, he's not, he doesn't, he, it isn't that he doesn't care. He is always there. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with their surging as bad as they can get, as much as Mother Nature could throw at you. The Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And I love this. He says, be still. Like I never connected the dots before, Psalm 46 and Matthew 8 and Mark 4. Like the God who spoke two words and the seas got quiet. The, the wind completely let down. Not just like a small little wave still coming, like glass calm. He said to the storm, be still, and it was. And you know what he says to you and to me and to our hearts? Be still. <laughs> be still. And why can you be still in the storm? Because you know that he's God. Because of who he is. Because of what he did. Hold on to those words so that you can remember these truths. Storm survival guide, God's power, who he is and what he did. The storm controller, God's power leads to our peace. Hold on to his power. Remember his power, what he can do. Because he has the power to, to end the storm, but he also has the power because of who he is in the storm to calm your heart. He might not calm the storm, but he can calm your heart. Because he's in the boat with you.
He promised to never leave you. Storm survival guide, remember God's power. And as you're focusing on God's power, facts, not feelings. The disciples were overwhelmed by their feelings. You and I as human beings are oftentimes overwhelmed by our, our feelings. Facts, the facts about God and who he is, the facts about his promises and what he says he'll do, the facts have to trump feelings. Feelings will always get the better of you. The facts about God are the best things you can hold on to. Facts, not feelings. And when you have facts, your faith will be blessed and it'll help trump the fear. Like fear is real, but God says, do not be afraid. Fear is real, but faith in God, the one who calmed the storm, faith in God, the one who, who shut the mouth of the storm and also conquered the grave, that's your God, his power. Let faith trump fear. Some of you know the name John Newton. John Newton is the famous Christian hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, he was a former slave. He was on a boat back to Ireland and he got caught in a storm. It was there and then that he prayed he was going to change his life. And years later, he wrote a song about that storm, about Jesus, about the one he called on to in the middle of it and God spared him. That I want you to maybe hold on to that when there are storms, even in them, we can smile. Begone unbelief in his hymn, I will trust and not be afraid. He said, my savior is near and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer, let me wrestle and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace and your love. There are people in here today who are probably going through a storm. There'll be times when all of us, Lord, will face them. Let us, in those times when we can't, Remember that you can because of who you are and what you did for us by enduring the ultimate storm of sin, death, and hell. You love us. You care about us. And sometimes you will calm the storm just like you did that day. But the truth about who you are can calm our heart every day, even so much that we could smile in them. And Lord, I pray that for, our, for all those who are here going through storms and will one day, that we can have that same faith, faith that you long for us to have in who you are and what you've done.